You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today, we're going to talk about screen time and media in general with our kids. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Abby? I have joined the e-reader revolution. Ooh. (laughs) I... I'm going to talk about romance novels more in a minute as my reading lately, (laughs) but I started reading romance novels and then realized that I could get a lot of romance novels if I had an e-reader because a lot of the ones that are available at the library are available as e-books and I don't like reading on my phone or iPad mostly because I don't want to read at night with the blue light. Yeah. So I put a question on our Buy Nothing group. Does anyone have an old Kindle? that I could Mm. either borrow to try it out or just have. And then a friend of mine said, I will give you mine on semi-permanent loan because mine was upgraded for Christmas last year. So she has a new Kindle Paperwhite, which she loves. So she just brought me her one, you know, some older version of Kindle. And it's truly amazing. I was like, I have so many books. I can take so many (laughs) books everywhere all the time. So I have read one book so far on the Kindle, and I am eager to read many more. I am interested to hear what you think after a few months of use and to see where you are with it. I have an e-reader, but it has been uncharged for months and months and months and months. (laughs) It's like my Fitbit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I usually like reading the hard copy, and that's easy to do when I'm at home. And Neil and I trade books and he doesn't like e-readers, but it's so nice when you travel and what you're saying about it being really light if you're just going around town, that I don't always want the full book in my purse. Yes. And that's my same thing that I would resort to scrolling on my phone Mm -hmm. when I might rather read a book when I'm waiting for an appointment right? or to pick up Plum. You know, I get there a little early and I'm just waiting. But with the Kindle, mm-hmm. there's no excuse. It's so light and so easy to just stick it in my bag versus with a bigger paper book. I'm much less likely to do that. Yeah. For me, the biggest hurdle to overcome is just having it charged and actually having books from the library transferred from the computer mm. onto there. And somehow that just feels really overwhelming. <laughs> so For yours, do you have to plug it into the computer? to get the Mm -hmm. books to there. So mine is on Wi-Fi. The Kindle that I have is over Mm. Wi-Fi. So I can literally from the library website, even on my phone or on my computer, I can say send to Kindle. Mm. And then I just log into Amazon and it says send to Abby's new Kindle. And then Mm. it just downloads automatically. So it's much easier. Yeah, that does seem much better. But we'll see if I can't get it together inspired by you. Good. What's new with you, friend? So earlier this summer, we took a trip to Colorado, where we also saw you. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was really excited about was getting to go on some hikes and just being out in nature. And we did that almost every day. But I'm going to talk about day one and day two and how they contrasted (laughs) and what I learned from that experience. (laughs) So this is a little bit like an update on our Getting Outside episode with some real life experience. Day one, we went to this place in Boulder called Chautauqua, and it's a beautiful park and a lot of land that goes out into the Flatirons, different hiking trails, lots of things. Well, we get there. E doesn't want to do any of it. She's not a walker. She's not a hiker. (laughs) She was very sad because HP and I went on a hike, and the whole time she kept saying she wanted to be with us. And Neil would say, I will follow you anywhere you want to walk. And she'd say, I don't want to walk. 
So the two of them sat in rocking chairs the whole time (laughs) while HP and I hiked. So the good thing about that hike was it was just me and him and I had zero agenda. So I just said, we'll go as far as you want, but we have to be able to walk back down too. And then anytime he wanted to stop, we stopped and took a break. So there was less of that like, come on, let's go a little farther, which I think breeds resistance in a six-year-old. And resentment in a parent. Yes. (laughs) So we were very slow in our going. But the thing that was really disappointing about that trail is you have to stay on the trail. Mm. And there's lots of signs to that effect because the environment is really fragile. And when you go off, you're killing lots of things that take years to grow back. Right. But he kept saying the whole time, I just want to explore on my own. I just want to walk wherever I want to go. I don't want to have to stay on this path. Mm. It's like, you know, that's really fair. It's beautiful scenery, but it's basically like we're on a sidewalk in nature. It was Mm. a paved trail. Mm. He couldn't do any of the things that is really developmentally and age appropriate for him. So some wins in that we had a really pleasant time together, but some not so great things in that he really couldn't explore in any meaningful way. Right. So the next day we met some college friends and we went to a park that was still in Boulder. But that one, there was the path and you had to hike up. But once you got up there, it was just these big red rocks that you could climb all over. Oh, nice. And once we got there, once again, you just wanted to sit and eat snacks, didn't want to move, which was (laughs) fine. So Neil and I took turns going with HP. And he kept saying, this is what I've been wanting to do. I've been wanting to climb a mountain. And he was so excited about it. And It just made me really cognizant that we need to do a little bit more research beforehand Mm. to make sure that we're finding the types of nature that welcome children's exploration. Yeah. And it's not at all that the other one was bad or that they shouldn't have done that. It was just that it wasn't the right fit for our family at this stage Mm, because mm -hmm. there's only so much appreciating a vista that a young child can do. Hopefully in future trips, we'll be able to do even more and just have a better idea of what we're looking for. Nice. Well, you've already given us a little bit of a preview, so tell us more about romance novels in your life. So it's really funny that I'd never read a romance novel until my book club picked one for this month. I love how widely your book club reads. I just want to say that. I love that book clubs expose you to different things in general, but I feel like yours really pushes the boundaries and explores a lot of very different genres. We do. We do. That is a wonderful thing about it, among many other wonderful things. So my friend Molly suggested this book. It is A Week to be Wicked by Tessa Dare. And I was like, what am I getting into? This is so funny. Ha ha ha. Read it and loved it. (laughs) And I've actually read several more romance novels since then. And this one has been my favorite out of all of them. So I would recommend it to folks who both like romance novels and have read them before or who might be new to the genre. I like that they're short. I like that they're really fast reads. I've been trying to find ones with empowered women that are, you know, light on patriarchy. (laughs) which I think that there are plenty out there. I really like the sexy parts. I read one the other day where the sex scenes were all, you know, fade to black type sex scenes, not as explicit as I might have hoped. (laughs) I was disappointed (laughs) about that. So basically, like I said, I would recommend this specific book and I would recommend the genre of romance in general, just because it's really fun. It's quick. If you don't like a book, it's over fast. And It's kind of nice to have that level of spice in my reading. (laughs) Yeah. 
I think the first time I started reading romance novels was maybe a year ago or so, inspired by Molly Westerman. Oh, right. That she's become interested in romance novels and specifically finding more feminist romance novels. Mm -hmm. So when she gave a couple recommendations, I thought, oh, well, I should check those out because it had been one of those genres that I had more or less written off. And then I thought, why am I writing this off? Why do I need to feel like everything I'm reading is some intellectual statement about who I am as a person when some things are just fun to read Mm -hmm. and enjoyable. And I also think that there is some power in books that focus on female pleasure. I think that's something that is not prioritized culturally, and it is refreshing to have that in a book. So while these are light and fun, I wouldn't say that it is without some sort of cultural impact. Yeah, I agree. And the one author that I have really enjoyed reading is Courtney Milan. Oh, I have one on my Kindle right now. Yes, I've read a couple of hers, and I felt that there were very few problematic parts the way that other romance novels, you sort of have to accept some things that I don't really want to accept Mm -hmm. to go along with the story, and I don't feel like that when I read hers. Nice. What have you been reading, Sarah? So I just finished American Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld. It's telling the story of a first lady of the United States named Alice Blackwell, which is very clearly based on the life of Laura Bush. Mm. It's divided into four sections. The first is her childhood and adolescence, then in her late 20s when she meets her husband, then about a decade later at a turning point in their marriage, and then finally at the White House. I really loved how much it made me think about my judgments of public figures and my assumptions of who they are as people based on what is presented to us in the media. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading it, it really made me especially reflect back on what I thought of the first family during George W. Bush's presidency, Mm -hmm. because that was the first time that I was really engaged in politics in any way, because for me, that was the end of high school and all throughout college. The other part of it I loved was just this examination of what makes up a marriage and what does it mean to be married to somebody who holds different beliefs than you do Mm. and who takes actions that you don't agree with. And so what are the pieces of a marriage that hold you together through that? And then what things are non-negotiable? And in a lot of ways, I really had trouble relating to her character because Sharing values with Neil is such an essential part of our relationship Mm -hmm. and feels like a big foundation that it was hard for me to imagine being in a marriage with somebody where that wasn't a common ground. Mm -hmm. But I liked how it stretched my thinking in that way. I will say it took me a while to get into. It is not plot driven at all. Mm. It's 550 pages. That's really long. It didn't even have chapters. It just had paragraph breaks within each of the four sections. So it really feels like a big commitment. All of that said, I would recommend it if you're okay with the lack of plot, because the themes and topics it explored were fascinating, and I really enjoyed thinking through all of that. Well, let's move on to our main segment for today, which is going to be all about media and kids. Before we get into how we're handling this topic within our families, Let's reflect back on our own childhoods. What do you remember about media in your house growing up? We watched plenty of TV as kids. We watched Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, Full House a little bit later. I watched lots of The Learning Channel, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all that early reality TV I was super into that, especially summers off during high school where I would just watch TV all morning. <laughs> and I really loved all those shows, the wedding story, the baby story, my favorite. And then I watched ER with my mom. That was the show that we watched together when I was a little bit older, which was really fun. We watched and went to movies as a family a lot. We also had computers pretty early and played lots of games. I think mostly educational games, but then some that weren't, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, as computers got more complex and the games did too. Read tons of books, often had NPR, the classical music station on the radio. And as Audrey and I got older, we had a lot of music that we were creating and listening to ourselves. I also watched a decent amount of TV. We only had one TV, and one of the things I really strongly remember is my mom's insistence that we have a living area without a TV, Mm -hmm. that she wanted to be able to have a place to read and have a conversation where there wasn't a TV there as well. Mm -hmm. I don't remember having specific limits like some of my friends did. I know that my neighbor was only allowed to watch two hours for the weekend, Mm. and I would go over to her house, and we would watch TGIF. Oh, and use yeah. up all two of her hours on Friday night. And then she wasn't allowed to watch TV the rest of the weekend. I also love TGIF. Thank you for reminding me of that. Boy Meets World <laughs> and welcome. Sabrina the Teenage Witch were my jam. Yeah. Boy Meets World was my favorite. So while we didn't have limits, I do remember there being a general sense of don't sit and watch TV all day. Hmm. And so it was nothing explicit. But if we'd been watching for a while, it was, okay, now it's time to find something else to do. But it wasn't some hard and fast rule. Mm -hmm. We had some of the earlier gaming systems like Mm -hmm. Nintendo. Mm -hmm. By some of, I just mean one, the Nintendo. And it was the old one where you had to blow into the game to get it to work sometimes. And so I remember a phase of playing that somewhat regularly. But then when all my friends were moving on to more advanced systems, our family did not do any of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't really remember playing past those early years. We're about to get into all these choices about kids and media, and I really think these early experiences have informed the kind of choices that I'm making, Mm. which is I am somebody who got really easily sucked into shows and to screens and didn't want to go outside and play and didn't want to do other things and didn't want to miss when a certain thing was coming on, even though at the end of it, it wasn't as satisfying as doing something else would have been. Yeah. But I feel like I didn't have the ability to say no to the screen because it was so enticing to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that probably says a lot about my personality. (laughs) And I think other people are much better at moderating than I am. But I do think that really has informed a lot of the way that we've chosen to handle screens as a family, which we're about to get into. (laughs) So in this conversation, we want to talk about both the media we love and media in general, but also this issue of screen time, which in our society, feels very fraught as a parenting issue Mm -hmm. and one of those cultural flashpoints where everybody has an opinion and it just feels like there's a lot of judgment in the air around it. And I would say, for the most part, actual parents who are doing actual parenting on a daily basis are the less judgmental folks. Yes, absolutely. And it tends to be strangers that you see out in the world who have all Mm -hmm. the opinions and are throwing their judgment at you. I just read a really fascinating essay that we can share in our show notes that basically was 
saying that kids' screen time is a feminist issue and another way that people use to pit women against each other Mm -hmm. and justify a lot of the judgment that happens. But in my experience, it's not parent to parent, the judgment. Correct. But it's more this, like you said, cultural frowning upon Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever you're doing with screens, whether you're hard no on all screens or all screens all the time. And that feels true of most issues, that really, if you're talking one-on-one with somebody, most people aren't actually judgmental. But there is this larger narrative that I think we all feel around screens. Absolutely. And that makes it even more difficult to navigate, that you're already trying to figure out the best choices for your family, but then Mm -hmm. you can't ignore all the cultural noise, even though we want to. Right. So all that said... Let's talk about what screen time looks like in our households these days. Plum does not watch TV every day, but she's watched TV for hours at a time before when I'm working, for instance, on finishing up a story on deadline. We also use FaceTime daily to communicate with friends and family that are out of town. Sometimes she and I look at my phone together, and I occasionally use my phone as distraction when she is losing it when we are out and about, especially if it's something like I'm trying on clothes and I need to finish doing that. Mm -hmm. I'll hand her the phone for that 10 minute period and that gets us over the hump. I do try to reserve my phone and TV, especially for when I need them as a childcare proxy. So often when she asks, I'll say not right now or not today. And she fairly readily accepts that. It's much easier to limit screens for her if I'm not on my phone or computer myself, Mm -hmm. which was part of the impetus for me to remove the Facebook app from my phone, which I talked about in a recent episode. I found that same thing that, as I'm about to get into, we pretty severely limit our kids' access to screens, but it has made me very cognizant (laughs) of any time I'm looking at a screen, because if I'm not letting my kids do it, but then I'm looking at my phone for large sections of the day... It just doesn't feel good. (laughs) Also, kids are bloodhounds for unfairness. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So limiting screens actually feels pretty natural for our family because we don't have a TV and haven't had one for a decade, Mm -hmm. and we don't have a tablet, and Neil doesn't have a smartphone. There just aren't that many screens around our house, which I think has made it so the kids see it as just not really an available option to them. Right. In general, we don't do TV, movies, or apps or games with the kids. And part of our reasoning for that is with my abstainer personality, it feels easier to just have a rule that we're not doing it at all, as opposed to needing to moderate and limit what they're doing, Mm -hmm. that there are no questions asking if they can watch a show or when their next screen time is, because the answer is never. (laughs) And in that way, it feels easier to me to do none Mm -hmm. than I think it would be if we were trying to moderate it. Mm. So the solution we've taken is just to not have it be available at all. Yeah. There have been exceptions to this. And the most notable one was last fall when I did not have enough childcare to produce the Family Pedals podcast. And I would let use my phone or laptop to watch little videos of nursery rhymes. And she loved them and very quickly wanted to watch those all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was a huge help to me. And I don't look back and regret that I did it. But that's also why we ended up upping our childcare to five days a week, because then I could get all my stuff done with the amount of childcare I had, where before I felt like I couldn't. Yeah. 
It's also been a little different now that HP is in public school. So his exposure to screens has dramatically increased. Yeah. And we're totally fine with that. I don't think screens are awful. I think screens are neutral. And it's all about how we're choosing to interact with them. But he's been introduced to more things in school and they have classroom iPads. And so some of that has transferred home. And I've done more things with him like watching nonfiction YouTube videos. So things like clips of the Olympics when the Olympics was happening. Mm-hmm. He was really interested in glass blowing for a while and wanted to watch glass blowing videos. It's really cool. Or he'd be interested in different animals and we'd type into YouTube things like funny penguin videos <laughs> and then <laughs> watch it. what came up. Yeah. And that's felt really fun and good to share that with him. So that's what it looks like now. But what did you imagine before you had kids would be your philosophy or attitude towards screens? Honestly, about like this, I think I didn't necessarily anticipate having the amount of work that I have to do. And so I think we've used more screens than we would anyway, just because most of the stuff that Plum and I are doing during the day, we're either doing it together or we're doing it side by side where... I'm reading a book and she's reading a book or we're reading books together or she's playing while I'm listening to an audiobook or I'm doing dishes and she's running around, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not really that fun for me to watch the children's TV with her. And I knew that I knew that about myself even before having kids that I was not that excited about watching children's TV. Right. And so I don't know that I anticipated how much she would be watching But I'm still not watching that much children's TV. So in that way, it's the same as what I expected. And basically expected that we would have some screen time, but probably less than what I have currently as an adult, which is how the situation has borne out. Mm -hmm. What about you, Sarah? Is the screen situation in your household what you imagined before you had kids? It pretty much is. I was really heavily influenced by a good friend of ours who is a Waldorf teacher. And Waldorf has a very strong media policy in its schools and asked parents to commit to not using screens with their kids through, I think, junior high school. That I know in high school they have screens, but Mm -hmm. I think all the way up through eighth grade, they asked that parents commit to being screen free. Wow. And I was really inspired by the theory behind that. And then also just knowing my own personality and how I respond to screens made it feel like a really good fit for our family. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really resonated with me was this idea of how when kids are hearing things through audio, that they're creating their own images Mm. and that storytelling is really important in Waldorf, Mm -hmm. where with screens, the image is provided for the kids and how strong those images can be. I think of this about the Harry Potter movies that I've seen. When I read those books, I have the images from the movie Mm -hmm. where there's three of the books, I believe, where I haven't seen the movie and then the images in the book are different. And they're the ones that I created when I went through it. And so that's something I think about a lot as it relates to just how strong of an imprint those images can make and how in childhood, I really loved the idea of my kids having that deep well of creativity and those resources for painting pictures in their minds. Hmm. Do you think that that applies because the moving images of screens are so strong and not necessarily to illustrated books, for instance, because there are now illustrated Harry Potter books, which are mm-hmm. gorgeous and we love them. And honestly, when we start reading the Harry Potter books with Plum, those are the editions that we'll use. And I think I won't. I want them to hear the story without seeing any images. Mm. So I don't think I'm going to want to read the illustrated ones to my kids because I think that it's so powerful to create the images yourself. Mm. And I think it is different. 
there's a lot that's still left to the imagination when you're looking at picture books. Mm -hmm. But I do think in Waldorf, the storytelling element is really important. So it's image-free, not just screen-free. I think it's much more in that direction of focusing on story and creating your own images. Hmm. It's not something that I've taken on fully. Right. But I do find a lot of beauty in that concept. Nice. And I think that might be part of why, as we started to incorporate some more screens as HP gets older, that I'm more drawn to the nonfiction and things Mm. like watching the Olympics and seeing how real things in the world are done that he may not have exposure to, as opposed to more fictional TV or movies. Nice. So what have you found to be the upsides and downsides of screens in your family's life? As I've already said, I love that screens are available to me as a tool to get my work done. Mm -hmm. It is perfect for us in its capacity as a childcare proxy. It is entertaining enough that I can go in the other room or onto the porch and do a work call for 20 minutes, but it's not so much a part of our lives that it's on all the time. So that's something that I really struggle with as a highly sensitive person is constant stimulation in the form of screens. Yes. And so I'm feeling really good about the fact that we don't have that right now. I think it doesn't bother a lot of people in the way that it bothers me. It's so distracting. I can't stand having TV on as background noise because it really makes it so I feel like I can't focus on what else is happening. That's my experience exactly. I think another upside of screen time for me is the veg out aspect. Sometimes I really do just want to sit and veg and I like sharing that veg time with Plum. So occasionally we will just flip through photos together on my phone or look at things on Amazon. Like right now, (laughs) she really wants her very own ukulele. So rather than buying her one, we like to just look at pictures of ukuleles that we might put on a Christmas list. (laughs) So we really like to do that together. Sarah, what have you found to be upsides or downsides of how screen time works in your family? I feel like this is one of those parenting things where you can't know the cause and effect. Right. Because I have no idea how my kids would be if screens were a bigger part of our lives. Uh Uh-huh. But I do think they are both very good at playing independently and focusing for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And it could be that has nothing to do with screens, but it feels like an upside of our choices. As for the downsides, there's a few different things I worry about. One is them not knowing a lot of pop culture references. Mm. And as they go through school, that they might feel left out of certain conversations or just feel a little odd in a way that isn't of their own choosing. Yeah. That said, I don't think that's the most important thing in the world, and that feels like a challenge that can be overcome. Sure. I also wonder if there's going to be a strong reaction in wanting more screens when they are older. Mm. Lots of people say moderation is the way to go, and that if you don't allow your kids to do anything, that's all they're going to want to do. That's definitely possible, but I also feel like even if we had more screens in our lives, my kids still could want all the screens because that's just our society right now. Right. So I'm not sure that having more now is going to make them want them less when they're a teenager. Right. And I'm also just really curious to see how it develops and evolves as they go through school. As I said, HP's already had a lot more exposure to screens being in public school, and I know that's only going to increase as he moves through the grades. Right. And the choices we made for early childhood are naturally going to have to be changing as they get older. Yeah. So those are our broad thoughts. But we also both have 
screen time, and media recommendations that we love. Why don't you share some of your family favorites? So Plum's favorite TV show is Daniel Tiger. She gladly watches the episodes over and over. Her favorites are the ones with baby Margaret, Daniel's little sister. Her favorite app on my phone is LifeCake, which is the photo sharing app where we post photos and videos of her for friends and family. We are also connected to other families who share photos of their kids on there. So basically in the app, you can look at photos and videos of all these kids that are dear to us. She calls that app Babies. Um, Nice. And this is what I use for the times when we're out and about and we need a Mm -hmm. distraction. We've also done it to make another 30 minutes of driving on a road trip when she's losing her mind. Mm. We pass our babies. And Plum is at such a hard age for the car, too. Right. She and I have also really enjoyed watching birth videos together on YouTube, Hmm. which is unusual and maybe not age appropriate but she is so into babies she loves to talk about where are they are they in the belly are they out are they being born and that's play that she does on her own and so mm-hmm. it's nonfiction when you're watching yeah birth stories on youtube and she really loves it i support it and i love it too so that's something fun that we can do together mm-hmm What about in your family? What are your screen time recommendations? So we have really loved the movie Babies that you actually recommended to us. Mm -hmm. Because I think I asked you for a recommendation when I don't remember if the kids were sick or I was sick or all three of us were sick. But some combination of people were sick in our house. And it was going on multiple days at home. And I thought, this is when I should include screens in our lives. (laughs) Yeah. And it's nice because it's one of those ones you can come in and out of. It's Mm, just mm -hmm. showing the first year of life of four different babies living in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. There's really not dialogue. It's just showing the babies living their lives and felt like the perfect thing for that moment. HP also learned about OK Go videos, which is a band, Mm -hmm. and they have YouTube music videos with amazing choreography and just these really elaborate scenes that Mm -hmm. are really interesting. The music's really fun. So he loves those. And really, I do too. So those are our screen recommendations. But let's move into media in general. What media is your family loving? So we are really into music right now. We just got a little device from Amazon that has Alexa, the robot, the Amazon robot, where you can ask her to do things. And so the main thing that we've done with Alexa so far is ask her to play music. And so Mm. Plum will think of something that she wants to hear, like Daniel Tiger songs or Elmo Mm -hmm. songs. I mean, she's watched maybe two Elmo videos in her whole life, but she has a stuffed Elmo. So she likes Mm -hmm. to hear Elmo. And then it's this amazing access to hundreds of songs that Elmo sings or that the Daniel Tiger people sing. And that has been really fun. I think yesterday we danced for like an hour to different variations of whatever Alexa was playing for us. Yeah. We also love music and Rafi has been the big hit at our house. Mm. And I know there are lots of families who say, my kids aren't going to listen to kid music. My kids are going to listen to the cultured music that I listen to so that they'll have good music taste. Mm -hmm. Well, as has been previously established, I have no music taste or at least (laughs) not cultured music taste. So Rafi is great. I'm all about it. (laughs) I also love children's music. Yeah, I'm into it. We also love sparkle stories. 
which is a children's podcast. And it's these really beautiful stories that are just so simple. They're really nature-based. They're really slow moving, but HP loves these. We probably started in earnest with those when he was four Mm. and the interest has not waned. On the website, you can get a subscription, which we've done at various points because he likes them so much. Mm -hmm. And they have collections and his favorite are the Martin and Sylvia. Mm. So if you're just starting out, I recommend finding a couple of those. And we've tried other kids' podcasts and He likes those when we're on car trips, but they're not a regular feature in our house. But our favorites from those have been Brains On and But Why. But HP's most recent love has been audiobooks. And as I've said before, we've gotten really into reading chapter books. And then when we can find the audio version of the books we've already read together, Mm. he really loves that. And I think it helped him get engaged when he already knows what's happening in the story. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's really comforting to kids to listen to the same story over and over and over. And that has been a really great tool that we've been using during rest time that actually facilitates real rest. Nice. So in the realm of media, is there anything that you're really looking forward to sharing with Plum as she gets older? Well, listening to you talk about audiobooks and sparkle stories, I am really excited for that, given that I myself love audiobooks so well, Mm -hmm. and Plum is just not there yet, attention span-wise. But that seems like that'll be amazing and hopefully coming up sooner than later. The other thing that I am really excited about that was a huge feature of my childhood is Broadway musicals. So Mm. my sister and I were super into singing the music, super into watching the movies. And so I am really excited for Plum to be old enough to both enjoy them live and on Mm -hmm. video, as well as the music and sing-alongs. I think that'll be so fun. I love that. When I was thinking about this question, I really couldn't come up with any specific responses. I am not a big movie person in general that I don't really have a lot of favorites that I can't wait to watch with my kids. Mm -hmm. But in a more general sense, I am looking forward to being able to watch TV shows together Mm. because that is my preferred form of screen time. And I have some fond memories, especially of watching the Gilmore Girls with my mom. And at that point, I was mostly out of the house. And it was more that we were both watching it. And then we love to discuss it with each other afterward. That's really sweet. Because I do remember having a strong feeling of not wanting to watch media with my parents when Mm. I was a kid. Interesting. So I think in that sense, I also don't have a huge expectation that that'll be something that we'll do as a family because it wasn't something I enjoyed as a kid. But who knows how that will develop. I think that wraps up our conversation around screens and media. We would love to hear from listeners about media you love, your favorite screen time, and how all that is working for your family. And now let's wrap up by sharing something that we've been eating lately. So I really love popcorn as a snack. I'm not Mm. sure if I've talked about that or not on the show. You have. Okay. That's not surprising. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a new version that I've been making. I had been wanting something a little different than just popcorn with butter and salt, which is my usual go-to. So I experimented, and I have been making Chex Mix popcorn, which is instead of just doing butter in the pan... I also add some Worcestershire sauce, Mm. letting that all melt together, and then adding a little bit of seasoned salt. Mm. So it's the same seasoning combination of what you put on Chex Mix, but then just pouring it on my popcorn instead. Sounds amazing. It's a little weird, but I really like it. (laughs) What's weird about it? I think for me, I'm so used to the traditional 
just butter and salt, mm. that having something else always feels uh, rebellious isn't the right word, but it always <laughs> feels a little strange. So I do like it, but it is every time I'm having a bite, I think, oh, this isn't my regular popcorn, but <laughs> it's been working for me. I think I've made it four times in the last week. Sounds delicious to me. What have you been making? I've been making tuna salad. It's a perfect summer dinner and thing to have on hand. Mm. And I never want tuna salad in winter because it's cold, I think. But mm. when it's hot outside, which it very much is right now, I am all about it. And I've been eating mine on lettuce, like as an actual salad where I just glop it on top of a bed of lettuce and then stir mm-hmm. it around because, you know, it has so much mayonnaise and it's already like a dressing. Yes. And then eat that. But Plum has just been eating hers on a plate. Andrew's been eating his in a sandwich. It is a delicious meal that serves everyone in the family. Yeah. I love a good tuna salad. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. But let me say households instead of household, since we do not share one. Okay. (laughs) Um, Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When we buy our duplex on a farm walking distance from town... This is where I think it could go off the rails, so let me know if it does. (laughs) I'm paying attention.